Hello and welcome to the Social Mobility Podcast with me, Tunde Banjoko. This is a place where we discuss the importance of advancing diversity and equality, and in particular, addressing socio-economic disadvantage with senior people from a range of sectors. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by Lucy Martin, freelance presenter and a weather presenter for the BBC. Lucy, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Right, so you'll, you'll, have, had, you'll have no idea why, but... And, and I'm about to say something. Um, <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> but, yeah, but you, having you on the show is a really big deal for me. Should I tell you why? Go on. Well, because you're my first person that I'm interviewing that's a professional media presenter. And so, it, for me, it's like um, as if I was uh, a pub singer doing a duet with Beyonce. Oh. <laughs> So We've so just really... started and already I'm being compared to Beyonce. Yeah. I'm coming back. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm really excited. And uh, and I see you're a North Londoner. Any sporting allegiances allied with that part of the world? I couldn't possibly say. I, all I can say is I grew up next to one of the stadiums, living next to the other. <laughs> and I'm just going to sit firmly on the fence. Okay, well, one of them, you and I are on the same page. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, one of the things that comes up on any search on you is the fact that you have a disability. Um, can you tell the listeners what that is, please? Of course, I was born without a right hand. Well, I, I never normally would say without, so I was born with one hand. So I'm missing a right hand and forearm. It's never stopped me from doing anything. I've had it since birth. So it's quite weird for me to be you know, listed as disabled because it's not really something that I have related to as I've been growing up only more recently have I been like yeah I'm disabled and it's something I'm proud of. Was there any ways that you noticed growing up that there wasn't equality or diversity for people with disabilities? The most blinding one for me is that there was no one on the TV or in adverts that looked like me so I had no one to look up to and it was normal you don't really know what you don't have until a couple of months ago I saw a girl with one arm in a wedding dress and I was like what? I've never seen that. You know, that's that is completely different. That is something, you know, the impact of having people that look like you being represented in media can't be underrated. So I think that's the one main thing where I was like, there's a real gap. I remember when I was growing up, the only person that had a visible disability on the telly was a guy called Jeremy Beadle. I don't know if you remember. Um, you wouldn't remember. Actually. <laughs> you wouldn't remember. I was like, Sorry. I smile and yeah. Nod? No, yeah, yeah I wouldn't. think there was one guy when I was growing up as well uh, in the wheelchair. Oh uh, yes, uh, the former basketball player. Yes, yes, and that was brilliant. That was really exciting. But it wasn't the same as having someone that looks exactly like you. Yes. Okay. So. What type of school did you go to? Was it a state school, private grammar? And what was it like being in a minority, if you noticed at all? I didn't notice. I think that was the weirdest thing. I think I went completely the other way. I was hyper, not disabled. You know, when the when I was in nursery, I was lining the kids up and tying their shoelaces for them, cutting their dinner. You know, I was very capable. You know, I wasn't going to be held back by being different. A lot of my friends growing up were like, oh, I forgot you had one hand. Like, it was kind of just not a thing that was kind of on my radar. And I think as I've grown older, I've realised that, that I'm also missing something from that. You know, I'm I'm not part of that huge, diverse group, which is, is a shame to miss out on that. I was at state schools, though. I went to a couple of local primary schools, a couple of local secondary schools, and then I went to sixth form in London, and then I went to Durham University, which is, you know, one of the one of the quite prestigious ones. 
and that's I felt quite different there having been in a state school in London and then going to quite a privileged university but um in terms of feeling different I don't think I I don't think I did and I look back on that now and I think that's weird but I don't think I really realized that I was different okay and you never tried prosthesis or anything I did I did in fact I'm I'm coming back to it now. So I had one when I was younger. The advice when you're born, uh, when any child is born missing a limb, is to go and get a prosthetic fitted as soon as possible so that you grow and develop with it. So my mum took me, I went, you know, every week practising with this thing, took it to school. My headmistress, like, took me around all the classes, did show and tell, you know, showed them this new arm. And then the next day my mum was like going to take your arm in I, was like, I think I'm done with that mum <laughs> I think I'll leave that and I haven't had one in the 20 years in between and then only recently actually I've gone back to I've just been fitted for one and it's been uh, an amazing process actually in, in terms of questions about my identity what it's like to have two hands like looking down and, and seeing two hands is a completely different experience for me I haven't got the muscle strength to do it at the moment, so it's going to build up very slowly. But it's lighter and it, they look amazing, so I'm, I'm very excited about it. Okay, and you were talking about, uh, you mentioned going to uh, Durham mm. and you felt different there because of socioeconomic background, is that what? I think so, yeah. I think I was uh, aware of the kind of different levels of privilege and having come from a busy city and then suddenly being in a smaller very university-based town. So it was that kind of, it was a real culture shock for me. Yeah. I mean, it's often the first time people who've gone to state schools actually interact with people who've had a more privileged lifestyle. Mm. And there are differences. Mm. I think sometimes they're more confident, some of the things that they talk about having done uh, mm. or they were doing the holidays or are very, very different. Uh, yeah, true. <laughs> So, yeah. And uh, why did you read geography? Oh, well, at the, I was at A-level. I did maths, economics and geography. And I wasn't really sure what I wanted to be doing. And geography at that time felt like the one that was going to be most fulfilling and, and most bearable for three years. <laughs> I thought, maths, I've probably reached my limit here. Economics, interested up to a point. But geography has such kind of breadth and depth that I was like, I think that's the one that I could see myself taking further and really getting into. Okay, and then you obviously uh, graduated. And when you graduated, what were your um, career ambitions? And I think I know the answer uh, listening to you. Um, But in what way were your ambitions influenced by your disability? I like the way that you said obviously graduated, because at the time it did not feel (laughs) like that at all. I feel like I got through on the... uh, edge of it I felt like I just managed to graduate and then I I finished came back to London was I've got that under my belt and I really did not know what I wanted to do I was trying different jobs I worked in a shop I worked for a charity for a bit worked for a travel agent so I was really unsure really you know trying lots of different things trying to work out what I wanted to do and then my friend's mum saw this advert in the newspaper the BBC were looking for people with a disability to come and do a three-day course you had to have a disability be interested in the weather and be able to do this three-day course and then in that you would learn about the weather learn about the process of presenting how it all comes together so I applied for that on a complete whim you know it was the day before my mum was filming me 
holding up a script so that I could read it at the same time, managed to get something in and then got on this three-day course, did that, had a great time, didn't think that anything else would come from that and then got into the training and the the weather maybe six months, seven months after that. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't necessarily always on my radar. I was like, that's what I wanted to do. I think when I was younger, I was like, who doesn't want to be a presenter? Like, that's the world's funnest job. But I hadn't spent loads of time preparing myself, you know, practising. I thought I would end up in an office, doing an office job, and then this came completely out of the blue. What was the What was the course like? Uh... Amazing. Like, very, very unexpected. You know, I think there are a lot of misconceptions with weather forecasting and weather presenting in that people think you're reading a script you're not you're making it up as you go along there's a lot of storytelling in it the skill of being able to take you know scientific information and make it understandable and useful for people you know it's all right knowing that it's going to rain but actually what you want to know is is do I need my umbrella you know that kind of thing so things that I didn't necessarily hadn't thought about you know it'd been on the end of the news all the time it's always there (laughs) and I'd watched it growing up but um it was great. It was a really, it felt like a real opportunity and, and to do it in Broadcasting House where it's all, you know, six o'clock, 10 o'clock news all around you. You've got the national weather presenters there. It felt like a real, a real lucky experience. Yeah, it sounds like an amazing experience. I mean, what do you think about positive action programmes generally? I think it's a shame we need them, but I think they're definitely needed. I think um, it would be lovely if it was a completely level playing field, but it's not. So I think those programmes that say, actually, we need to improve diversity, be it ethnicity, disability, gender, you know, whatever it is that needs improving, I think there's a space for them. And I have had a few people, you know, oh, um, yeah, but, you know, you're there for diversity. And it's like, I think that really downplays the all the hard work I've put in. Okay. So it's like, opens the door maybe, but... I still had to work very hard and I still have put in a lot of effort and have the skills to do the job. So I think those programmes have a space, but I do think there's a shame that it's a shame that we need them. Yeah, I, I completely agree that what they're there for is to widen the gate, mm. to give people who, because of the inequalities uh, in our society, don't get an opportunity. But you only stay there because you're damn good at what you do and you've proven that. That you're that you're good enough to do the job, which is why you're still doing it, right? I hope so. Every time I get asked back, I think I'm I'm doing all right so far. <laughs> yeah. And you've been asked back a good few years now. Yeah, exactly. I think I can start to relax about that one. Yeah. And and so, how does it feel to be the BBC's first visibly disabled uh, weather presenter? How does that feel? It feels brilliant. It feels really amazing. It feels like what an opportunity for me, and also what a responsibility as well. I feel like. I could have really done with that growing up and I know that it makes an impact because I've met people in the street who have come up to me and said, my granddaughter has exactly the same arm as you and we were so worried and then we saw you on the TV and now we feel like everything's going to be okay. Like that that difference feels like a quite a responsibility as well to kind of, to be the best I can be and to um, to keep pushing myself and trying as hard as I can. Yeah, I, I'm, I've seen some wonderful things online about which show exactly how your presence inspires others. I mean, it must be an amazing feeling. Yeah, it feels very special, very special. Although I don't know how I would feel if I was 
introduced as the first black something or other. There's something, even though it's good, mm. it's not good. I don't know if you know what I mean. Completely, completely. It is mad that it's 2019 and that's that's what's happening, you know. And it's also, for me, it feels like such a small part of who I am. So that's what's been the weirdest shift for me. It's like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, that's disabled weather presenter. And I'm like, I've never really related to that. And I think that's a problem in itself. I think that really is to do with the stigma around the title of being disabled and what that means. And, you know, I think keeping myself back from that, like I said, has really kind of limited myself. But it is still a bit of a weird one for me to look at and think, oh, yeah, they're talking about me. That's, yeah. you know, that's a very small part of who I am. I don't think, you know, I want I want to get to a point where it's not exciting anymore. Absolutely. You know? Then we've made progress, right? Then I've done my job well. Yeah, that's right. Then we've made progress. Then you're, you're a weather presenter who happens to be disabled. Yeah. Like, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I think that's right. But you've used your higher profile to do some diversity advocacy. Um, can you tell us some of the things you've been up to? I've done a bit of stuff. I've been in some magazines, specifically dis- disability magazines, but then also I've been in magazines that aren't specifically for disabled people, which I think is very important as well. You know, it's not just we're comfortable with you being in that that realm. Like, I think it's important to be across all sorts of... Does that make sense to you? Yeah, you see where I'm going? So it's not that I'm just, you know, in the dis- disability magazines, but I think that's very important. Um, I've spoken about body positivity, body confidence. What else have I done? I've done some bits and pieces. (laughs) Okay, so what we try and do here is raise awareness of issues and come up with solutions. So you're the queen of the world, the rule of the world. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So um, what things do you think should be done in society generally and within organisations for us to be much better and equal? than we currently are for people with disabilities? Wow. Big question. Big question. Very big question. Because we're coming from a place where we have all this history of oppression as well. So how are we Are we taking into account what's gone before? Or are we going for a we're going completely idyllic... Sheet, yeah, completely idyllic. What things should we do? What things would make things better? I think seeing people, disabled people in jobs doing everyday things is really important. I think that's a, a main one for me. You know, when the Paralympics came to town, suddenly everyone felt like they could ask me what happened to my hand because they were like, we've seen that on telly and I feel comfortable about that now because I know what that looks like. I feel like I can ask you what happened now. So like having that conversation going starts when people feel comfortable and having someone at work who has one arm or having someone in a shop who is blind or, you know, just... Having more visibly disabled people around us in workplaces, I think, starts to make that conversation happen. I'm trying to think bigger now because I feel like I've got a lot of power yeah, in my in my uh, nice setup. Um, it's a hard, it's a hard question actually. What the solution would be? I think it comes down to mainly just treating people as equals. You know, it's not like I think disabled people need specific special treatment at all. I think we need to be treated the same as you treat everybody else. Yes, I think you need to make considerations where things are more difficult or adapt things where somebody's not able to do it. But I think actually the main issue is treating everyone equally. But if we get, we're currently in a situation whereby people with disabilities, their their unemployment rates are higher. 
and we don't see people with disabilities very often at high levels mm. within our major businesses and organisations. You know, what do you think we should do about that? I definitely don't think it's because they're not capable. I wonder if there's a lack of role models. Mm-hmm. I wonder if there, there's a lack of confidence to go for jobs. I don't think we could just suddenly put, you know, loads of disabled people in positions that they're not trained for yet. Like, you have to work through. So I think, yeah, support it. It's that, isn't it? It's positive discrimination. It's you need to be supported to get into those roles. But I think there's... um. Yeah, it's having the opportunities and having the support and having the ambition and the role models to feel like you can do it because you've seen that somebody else has done it and it's possible. But there is, like you say, a, a real lack of disabled people in, in high-level jobs and I'm not 100% sure why that is. Yeah, I think for me, I think schemes like the one that brought you to our screens are really important. You know, access schemes that give people with the ability... That, but that just not have had the opportunity to develop the skills that then allow them to compete, levelling the playing field. Completely. Yeah. I think that's the main. I think that's the main thing. But if I, in my perfect idyllic world, the you know the playing field would be level and everyone would be able to compete for those jobs. But yeah, like you say, I think the solution is more support, more training. Okay. So, what about your ambitions for the future? <sighs> yeah. <laughs> Hard question, really hard question. I'm not sure because I feel like in this life things are so uncertain. I didn't think I'd find myself where I am at this moment in time. That part of what I'm doing just needs to be continuing to go with the flow and see what comes up, you know, get involved when I have the opportunities, throw myself in and see where I end up. Do you see yourself as a a presenter on late night? Uh, television, the the late show with Lucy Martin. Now we're talking. (laughs) Ambitious, I like it. I don't know, I really don't know. Who knows where I'll end up? I think it would be more comfortable if I had a kind of a plan and a goal, but um, I don't at the moment, so I'm kind of just enjoying the ride of seeing where I end up. Yeah, and I mean, you've done magnificently and I'm sure it's going to be even better still going forward. Thank you. Thank you, Lucy. To find out more about the podcast, please visit our website at socialmobility.fm and follow us on Twitter at socialmobpod. You've been listening to the Social Mobility Podcast with me, Tunde Banjoko. I hope you can join us for the next episode. Peace.